Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Amen. Thank you, Jay. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And yeah, this is crazy. We went through some storms and we still have not gotten rained out, not one time. And uh, here we are. And man, you know, this setting is a lot more, it's a lot more similar to how and the environment that the scripture was written in, especially in the New Testament, uh, reading through John chapter 5 and chapter 6 for this morning. I realized when they broke up and the 5,000 were fed and all of this, they broke up into groups kind of like this uh, when they were fed and sharing the food together. So it's, uh, I think the Lord has a way of making the scripture come alive to us a lot of times, <laughs> maybe even if we don't like it. If we'll take it in, if we'll take that moment in, we'll be able to receive more than we realized in the moment. And so we're in our, I don't know, you know, Ordinary People series, if this is your first time with us, or if you're listening out in the congregation in the apartments around, in the houses, good morning, my name's Tim, and uh, Senior Pastor here at the Vineyard, and so glad to have everybody listening in here, and um, we're making our way through a series of conversations that Jesus had with various people in the Gospels. And today we're going to be over in John 6, as I said. This might look like a lengthy conversation, but I cannot not read most of this, and I'll go through it as quick as I can and, and make a few comments and then um, then break it down with our three fill-ins. The, the fill-ins are on the uh, Facebook page there, if you're following along. Also, it's on my Pastor Tim Facebook page. It's on the Bible app as well, if you'd like to follow along that way. And build it up to this particular conversation that Jesus had. Uh, you started chapter 6 and verse 1, and you find out that this is where he fed the 5,000. You remember that story, right? And uh, with the two fishes, you know, and the five loaves, and uh, Jesus said, hey, you know, we need to feed these folk because he cared about them physically. He cared about what they needed physically. And it's very hard to hear a spiritual message many times when you are physically in need, and I think Jesus knows that, and He cares for these folks. And of course, you know, they were like, "Hey, man, it would take a whole lot of money to feed these people, and we don't have any money." And and you know, Jesus, what do you have? We've got got a kid here with two fish and five loaves, and I've always found it amazing that Jesus could have just said, "Shazam!" and multiplied it, but He didn't. You don't see the miracle until you step into doing what's needed. And so they began to share what they had, and then Jesus made provision through the sharing of what they had. But when they started, it didn't look like they had enough to meet the need. And sometimes I think that's a great story. I mean, I take, we always want to have everything we need before we ever step out, don't we? We want everything before we take a chance or before we step out and a lot of times I think Jesus is going, well, what do you have? Look down in your hand and see what you do have and begin your journey. Step out a bit. And as they did that, the miracle became obvious. All of a sudden, not only did they have enough for the 5,000, but they had more than enough and they had leftovers as well. And so the reason that story is important is because that topic of the loaves 
of bread is going to be carried right on through the next conversation. And so you see this theme running through this. Uh, in between that, Jesus walks on the water. There's a story of that in uh, John 6, and where the disciples get in the boat to go across to the other side, a couple, two, three, four miles away, rowing away. The storm comes up. They see Jesus, you know, coming by. And uh, by the time they get to the other side, Jesus is they're trying to get him in the boat. But by the time they get to the, you know, by the time they do, they're at on the other side. The crowd goes, where did everybody go? Where they're on the other side. So they all take off boats and everybody over to that side of the lake. And everybody is looking for Jesus. They've seen the 5,000 fed. Their hunger is now even deeper. They see a practical need being met. And uh, they want to see more of Jesus. Who is he? Is he the king? Is he a prophet? Just who is he? And uh, along the way, Jesus is relentless in drilling down to get the folks to see what the real need is in their life. And so let's, uh, let me pray because I'm, then I'm going to run through it quick, point out a few things, and then we'll fill in the outline here. So, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, that we're able to gather in the midst of trying times. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now, right here into this area, to our neighborhood. Uh, to the folks gathered here in this parking lot. Lord, Holy Spirit, come and comfort those who need comfort. There are many, Lord, among us who are looking to you right now to see needs met. And, Lord, that's exactly who you are. You are able to meet every need that we have. And so, Father, would you come? Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit, bring your presence to bear on every need of every person here today and online that are watching, Lord. Lord, guide us through your word. Jesus, you lived this out. You walked this out. Help me in my weakness this morning, Lord. Bring alive what you want us to hear, particularly for us, for each of us here this morning through your word. Breathe life. Amen. So let's read just a little bit. If you got your Bible app and you want to open, open it up to John 6. And verse 25, we'll rush through a bit of this and then we'll, we'll get into it. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now that's funny to me. When did you? <laughs> Jesus answered, very truly. That means, listen, you need to listen up. This is serious. I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, the 5,000, all of that, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God and the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the work? God works, God requires. Boy, that's the question we always ask. How much more can I do, right? What do you want me to do? Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work of God, to believe in the one he sent. So they ask him, what sign then... What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Well, I just fed 5,000 people and I walked across the lake. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Still thinking about the bread, right? 
As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, listen up. I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father. Don't get the servant mixed up with the source. Don't get the servant mixed up with the source. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, always give us this bread. They're still thinking about bread to eat physically. I want that bread. Give me that bread. I won't go hungry anymore. I won't have to worry about food. Give. They're just not on the same plane yet. Then Jesus declared, here it comes. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. He will not lose you. But raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And this, at this the Jews there began to grumble. Same kind of word that you had in the Old Testament when the children of Israel grumbled in the desert. Ah, what? What the heck? About him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, they're in Capernaum, right? They're right there in the home town, the home area there, whose father and mother we know. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Still not there. Stop grumbling, Jesus says, among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, Jesus. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna. You know what manna means, right? What is it? It's what the word means. What is it? When they found it, in the, when they were out in the wilderness, and God fed them with the manna, they would, it was like, what the heck is this? So that's what manna means. And this is kind of a, what the heck is this that's going on moment even with Jesus talking to them. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread, Jesus, that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. Now here's where it gets really uncomfortable. And it did for actually hundreds of years when they talked about this which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now it's bordered on real grossness, right? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, oh man, it's going downhill quick. Here we go. You have no life in you. Is this battery going bad? Is that what this is? Skips on it. He's rushing into the storage facility. 
no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food. See the metaphorical setup from feeding the 5,000, moving into this? Jesus is such a smart dude. It's all getting set up, all the way from the, from the miracle of the food, right on through into now, until they're wanting... I think he's going out, bro. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply, how can this man give us his flesh to eat now? It's just... You would think that Jesus would go, whoa, whoa, boys and girls, hold on. Let me explain this to you right now. Okay, you got this wrong, but he doesn't. He just continues to build the tension. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Back to the main topic. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard, literally offensive teaching. This is an offensive teaching. I'm offended by this, all this talk. Who can accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling, here it is again, third time about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Like, yeah, you, well, does that offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And now he gives the whole metaphorical truth. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of, some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. <laughs> he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Let me point out a few things this morning. Your first feeling is this. The pursuit of bread is not wrong. The pursuit of real bread... I mean, actual bread that we have to live with. I mean, we need to live. We need food to survive. Sometimes we draw this dichotomy between Christians should only care about the spiritual aspects of one another's lives and of the world, but that's just not true. That's not even how Jesus dealt with it. God does care about people having enough to eat. God does care about people having enough to drink. He cares about it. It's very difficult to even hear about what our spiritual needs are when your body is racked with hunger and you cannot, that's the only thing on your mind. Jesus knows that. God cares about people. It's, it's 
good to meet the needs of people, which the practical needs of people. And this is what we've been doing in this church and so many other churches and organizations are trying to do constantly. One commentary said it this way, it is ethically responsible to care for the body before nurturing the soul. And I mean... We continue to feed people. Convoy of Hope came through. We fed people. Christy, her team, many of you out here are continuing to care for your neighbors, to do what you can to care for people. That is a part of living for Jesus. It's a part of us caring for people. And uh, that part of this story excites the people because they were hungry. Most of them were poor. They didn't have enough food. And so it grabbed their attention. The unfortunate part is most of them were not able to carry it through to the deeper understanding of where Jesus was taking this. And that is that your physical hunger also reveals a deep spiritual hunger. Now let's talk about this just for a minute. Let me. We have these little breakout questions, right? Here's your question. How does it feel when someone buys you a meal? How does it feel when someone buys you a meal? When you're, I mean, how about when you're really hungry and someone buys you a meal? How about when you're really hungry and you don't have the money and someone buys you a meal? But just share quick, do you have a situation in mind? I do. I can, I can think of two or three times when I've been very hungry and haven't had enough money in my pocket, whether I was out surfing or doing whatever, and someone comes on and goes, hey, let's go get something to eat. And you're like, I love you. <laughs> you, you just, right? I mean, you don't forget those times. Do you have a time in mind? Share with someone. I think that's one of the things I miss the most is being able to have meals with, you know, other people, being able to gather together. And we love to eat here. We love to have, you know, our church birthday celebrations and things like that. We're able to put out the food. And, you know, with this pandemic, we haven't been able to do any of that. And, and some of us, like, we're very careful in our home and have been through the whole thing. And, um, and so it's, you begin to miss it. And Jesus kind of comes along in the midst of that need being met, which was a very justified need and one that he wanted to meet and begins to take it to a whole other place. Now, you can't miss the tension here. He's in Capernaum. His family's nearby. He's in the synagogue. And this is around Passover. This is like one year before the last Passover. This is like beginning the 12 months up into his crucifixion at this time. And so all of this is just building to a point. Things are closing in as he focuses in on the cross and where he's headed. And so he begins to drill down about the life that's within him and who he is. And, and they, you know, this crowd was not up for that. They, they were looking for a Messiah, but that, this was strange talk to them. The early church was accused of cannibalism early on because people did not understand communion. When they would hear the believers talk about it, this is for the first 100, 150 years of the early church, when they would hear the church talk about their Last Supper or their communion or the Eucharist or the love feast, when they gathered together and they talked about the body of Christ and, and eating it and drinking, you know, the blood, 
uh, that it was like vampirism. It was they were like these people are crazy, missing the metaphor. Still, still people miss the deep metaphor of the life of Christ, of who He is, and that the life is in Him, and that is where we get our life from, the spiritual life. And um, and so your second feeling is this. Our hunger for God is just as real. It's just as real as our hunger for real bread. It's in there. Every single one of us have this deep-seated, we want to know. We want to know why we're here. Our hunger for God is just as real. Just like the woman at the well. She wanted the water that would quench her thirst forever so she wouldn't have to go back to the well, right? Again and again and again in the middle of the day, hot by herself because she was such a, quote, you know, kind of failure and didn't have friends with her to go with her and all. She wanted the water when Jesus talked to her, but she missed the metaphor until Jesus flipped the switch on her. This crowd's missing the metaphor, too, of Jesus being the bread of life. And our hunger, our deep hunger, and our thirst to understand why we're here and to try to make things right in our soul, to feel like things click together, we have a hunger for that just like we do a physical hunger. Now, here's your question next to talk to each other. When was the first time you were aware of a spiritual void in your life? When was the first time you were aware that there was a spiritual hunger, thirst in your life. Could be today. Could be now. It's funny that uh, I look back over my life and look back over when I, I remember. I mean, you know, history is kind of uh, fluid. It kind of changes, you know, your stories. You remember them maybe a little different. But uh, I probably didn't sense a, a, a sense of some spiritual hunger or thirst until I was probably 15 years old, 14, 15 maybe. And it was all because I got hurt surfing. And, and I didn't know what was going to happen, and I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And I remember laying in bed and just going, if you're there, if you're there, Surely you can do something about this. <laughs> I mean, if you're God, you know, and then I wouldn't talk to him anymore for a few years, actually until I was 20 years old. And um, but I do remember that kind of va- that vacuum, you know, that moment in life where all of a sudden there was there was a hole somewhere deep inside. There was a vacuum deep inside that had an itch to it and it had some it, it wanted some type of reconciliation and it wanted some kind of satisfaction. And Jesus is building on that and trying and boy he's he's nailing and drilling and he's just doing everything he can to make it as uncomfortable as possible for this group so that they'll have to process through their thoughts in order to begin to understand what's going on in front of them with with him. And so, you know, when he talks about the bread of life and drinking the blood, that the life is in the blood, that, you know, he says, does this offend you? Well, you would think, okay, let me explain this to you. It's a metaphor. Here's how it's a metaphor. Instead, what does he do? Well, how about this? I said I came down as the bread of heaven. What if I go back up? What if you see me? But not only go back up to heaven, I'm going to go up on a cross. 
which was worse than anything because anybody that was nailed to a cross that was the worst curse, the most insult anyone could ever suffer. There's no way the prophet, the Messiah would ever go to a cross. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I came down. How about I go up? And then I go up the ascension in Acts 1. Go back to the Father. By the time Jesus finishes with all of this, the folks in the crowd are going to know whether they're going to respond, and Jesus will know whether they're going to respond or not. You'll see it. And it says in Acts 6.66, From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And that's still happening. You know, people still turn back. They're like, I was with you, Jesus, up to getting the bread. I was with you up to the 5,000. I was with you up to the bread and the fish. But this is getting a little difficult here, so I'm backing out of this. No, I can't. No, uh-uh. I'm out of this. And your last feeling is this. This is a big one. The responsibility to call is his. The responsibility to come is ours. The responsibility to call us to himself is his. But the responsibility to come to him is yours. He gives you that. He says, here's who I am. If you have any sense, any pull, and obviously Peter and the disciples, except for one of them, they did feel it. And they responded to it after everyone else had left, after these difficult challenges and sayings that people did not understand. And they didn't understand them completely, but they still trusted Jesus. You know, you don't have to understand everything to have trust in someone. You don't have to have total clarity to have faith. You don't have to have every I dotted and every T crossed in order to believe something. We do that every day. We step out in faith and believe things and trust equipment and trust this and that without knowing sometimes anything about it. And like Jesus said when we began this, what is the work of God? To believe in the one who sent him. To believe Jesus and who he is. That is the work of God. Now here's your last question and we'll pray. And that is this. Have you ever sensed God's drawing you to himself? Have you ever felt a wooing? Ever felt a pull? You can have it again. It's not like you just had one. I didn't have just one and you know, when I was 20 years old and that's been it. I continually feel a wooing by God. Sometimes I don't feel it. Sometimes I don't sense it. Because maybe my mind is straight off and, you know, my attention has gone somewhere else. And then all of a sudden I have to settle myself down and you feel that place going, come on, Tim. Come on. Have you ever sensed or when was the last time you sensed God drawing you to himself? Would you share that? Is that difficult to talk about? Is it like a little bit uh, hard to talk about spiritual wooings? You feel like. Something's going on deep within you. It's kind of common to say I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And uh, so whatever that means, it would be neat to just share. What do you mean by that? You know, what, what, what is that? 
that's deep inside of you. Why do you have that? Why is there a sense maybe of, you know, I'm, I'm not satisfied yet. There's this spiritual, something needs to click in my life where there's some sense of settling into that. You know, Jesus said in this passage of Scripture that his mission was to keep those the Father gave him. You get that, right? That if you believe, you do the work of the Father, you do the work by believing in Jesus, then Jesus goes, my job now is to keep those that have responded to me. And then, of course, the story follows with so many that fall away and they walk away and they, they can't handle what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is able to keep. They didn't even hear that first part. They didn't get the first part of Jesus' sermon that day at all, that he was going to keep whoever hung there with him. He would take care of that. That was his mission and his job, but we have to respond to it. He's taken the responsibility to call, to do the work of the cross, to pour out the Spirit of God on us into our hearts, to give His very presence to us that says, Abba, Father, from deep within us, to show our connection is finally made with our Creator. He does that work, keeps us. But our job is to respond to that. He's not going to do that for you. He's not going to do that this morning for you. He's not going to put a foot in your back and he's not going to force you to respond. He's going to invite you to respond. He's going to invite you to come into the work that he has done for your benefit and to respond. And I want to ask you right now, if that is what God is doing and you feel his invitation, you sense his great love and affection for you and he is wooing you now, that you make the decision to believe. You go, I believe it. I believe it. I don't have all my answers. I don't have everything cleared up, but I know what I'm sensing now, and I know what I'm hearing, and I believe He is the bread of life. I want to eat the bread of life. I want it to become a part of me. I want life within me. I want to sense life. The blood is the life of our bodies. And there's the metaphor of Jesus giving us his life. There's the beauty of communion. So, Lord, right now, here in this parking lot, I pray those that sense your invitation would say yes right now. Say to you, I believe, Jesus. I believe. I believe in you. And now keep me and lead me on. Lead me on. Keep me and lead me on. He will do that. He will do that. Before we take communion, also, sometimes we stray off. We scatter. Life gets tough. We don't have all the answers. And we wonder maybe why wasn't God there in that moment? Well, he was, and I believe he was grieving right along with you with whatever you were going through, as we talked about last Sunday. And so you've kind of strayed out, but you still feel and you still sense his grand hold on your heart because he's so good about keeping you. Would you just say to him, Lord, thank you for keeping me. Thank you through all of my questions through all of my, even turning my back at times, thank you for keeping me. 
Thank you, Lord. You are indeed a good, good Father. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to take communion. We haven't done this since the pandemic, and I have really been missing this. If you do not have a communion packet, would you wave your hand, and we'll have some people bring one to you. They've been cleaned. They're contained. Uh, inside, they haven't been exposed to any anybody or anything on the inside. There's a wafer where you... There's a little bit of a tab tab right here two tabs and you peel back the first tab and there's a wafer of manna what is this this manna <laughs> underneath there and and as you take that manna as you lift it from the top of the cup you might remember John 6 you might remember the feeding of the 5000 you might remember the questions and you might remember, I hope, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the manna. What is it? Who is Jesus? He's the bread of life. That's who he is. I want to make sure everybody is ready for this. And I hear I'm, I'm good if you have your communion elements. You just say it. I'm good. All right. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, on the night you were betrayed, you gathered with your best friends. Actually, one year from this story, one year from the story that we read this morning in John 6, you gathered with your friends again in that upper room. You lifted up the bread and you said, this is my body which was broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Likewise, you took the cup and you lifted it up before your friends and you said this is the cup of the new covenant, the new agreement. This washes away our sins, gives us hope, gives us energy, gives us life, expectate good expectations, hope, Lord, not just for now but for eternity. Hallelujah. We drink this, Lord, in remembrance, celebration of what you've done for us, for doing for us will do for us. Drink and remember. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.